Hi everyone, how's it going? Welcome back or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. I'm Tom Ford and as you probably know by now, I believe that success in our inner world leads to success in our outer world. And what I mean by that is, I think if we get to better understand ourselves and the reasons why we do things, then we're far better equipped to go out and achieve and strive for something in the external world. And I think the best way to do that is really to ask ourselves better questions. For example, why am I really doing this? What do I really value? What is actually important to me? And I think when we begin to ask those questions and explore the answers to those, I think what we begin to realize is that success is actually something that can be achieved on a daily basis. And it's not something that's dependent on external circumstances or results. I think that just creates space to just enjoy the path, to fully experience it more. And I think success in the outer world or the external form just follows as a result naturally because you are working from such a higher place. And that's really what gave me the desire to start this podcast was to really greater understand the inner world of the best players and coaches and to hopefully gain a slightly more balanced perspective on the many, many different paths that can be walked in order to achieve success, whether that be on the, on the internal or external form. Now, in today's episode, uh, the tables have been turned and I'm interviewed by a good friend of mine, Todd Harity. And uh, for those of you that haven't listened already, he was one of the first guests on the podcast. I'd, I'd highly recommend uh, checking out that interview. At the end, he he said that he wanted to interview me and I thought it would be a fantastic opportunity to really just share with you guys my journey and hopefully that will um, give a bit more clarity in terms of where I'm at now and the, the path that I've taken to get here, really. So in this conversation, we really we really go quite deep into my journey, uh, the early days and, and really the person who was, who was the most influential on my, my squash and, and potentially my life at the beginning. Uh, my career and my attitudes, you know, growing up playing uh, in the juniors and then making the transition to playing the tour. And then a lot more to do with the reasons why I decided to stop and take a break and uh, and really what's led me to kind of be experiencing what I'm experiencing currently. And I feel that the themes that I've taken from this conversation are one is curiosity having the curiosity to, you know, to ask, as I said, these questions before, why am I really doing this and what really is important to me? And also being curious about why not go about things in a slightly different way. Secondly, that kind of leads on to courage. So actually having the courage to to not only ask those questions, but to act on them, to try something new and prepare for it to maybe fail and to have the courage, you know, to walk back the other way down a path that that maybe wasn't the right one but at least you had the courage to explore it and maybe lastly on that having the courage to ask for help and to and to accept it when it's needed and lastly uh, exploration i think that brings those two full circle is if you're curious and you have the courage you tend to go on quite a, a journey of exploration and in my opinion and in my experience that can only be a positive process to just really understand yourself and, and life and what it means to you better. And the further you explore your comfort zone, yourself and, and all of life, 
I think that's really how we find balance. Because we've gone to those extremes, we are now we have so much more of a bigger picture to know what our balance is rather than having never taken the step forward. So with that being said, here's a conversation with myself and Todd. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. I'm Todd Herity, and on this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Tom Ford himself, who's the creator of this podcast series called Finding Balance. And just a little bit of background. Uh, about four months ago, um, Tom interviewed me on this podcast. It was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. We talked for about an hour and a half. And at the end, I said, you know, next time I'd like to turn the tables and interview him. So thanks for being here, Tom. Um, and I wanted to interview you for a few reasons. I think you're a very, um, you know, very deep, very curious and interesting person with a lot of kind of strong ideas and opinions, opinionated. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that I would like to ask you for myself, but also that I think a lot of other people who know you would want to know or people that you know don't know you would also find interesting um yeah i appreciate that buddy because um i think it would be useful for me as well to uh a lot of these uh these things i i have in my head so it's going to be really useful for me to try and uh verbalize <laughs> all, the, all the things that have uh, been going on <laughs> well so you sent me a little rubric kind of about the sort of the design and the idea behind uh, finding balance, which I think is amazing, kind of, you know, uh, talking to top athletes about success, and but also there's so much more to a person than just their kind of accomplishments and what's kind of going on in their psychology and their inner world and everything. And, you know, we've been friends for, you know, since I moved to Bristol about like a year and a half ago, whatever it was, and... But I asked you a few times if you know, I can ask you anything in this interview. And each time you said, yes, ask me anything. So, uh, yeah, I hope that doesn't come back to bite me. <laughs> I'm wondering if you're going to regret that. I hope you don't, you know, storm off at all during this. <laughs> but um, we're going to kind of be hitting all the uh, the hard topics. So, yeah, so anyway, forward to it. all right, here we go. So just a little uh, biography on Tom Ford. Tom Ford is a former top uh, British professional squash player. I say former because currently he's no longer playing. We're going to get into that. Um, but he was also a bit of a prodigy as a junior player uh, here in England. He had a really good junior career, kind of consistently ranked in the top two or three juniors in all the age groups growing up. In the year 2012, uh, he was a silver medalist at the European Individual Championships, and that same year he was on the English team that uh, won the gold medal. And then uh, went professional when he was about 18 years old, joined the Pro Tour, and he's won six professional tournaments, uh, three 5K events and three 10K events um, during his pro career, which is more than me. I've only won two and only one 10K, so good on you. Uh, however, uh, in, I guess, mid-2016, he decided he no longer wanted to play squash professionally. He continued to play in the odd tournament here or there for a while before he officially uh, stopped his membership with the PSA, and so 
uh, kind of officially terminated his uh, status as a professional player in 2017. But it was clear by the middle, certainly by the end of 2016, from his tournament schedule and the choices that he was making at the time that his athletic career was no longer his top priority. Uh, During this time, in September 2016, he decided to enroll in university at UWE, as it's known locally, the University of the West of England. It was an entrepreneurship course um, that he was taking, but it didn't last long. He stayed for one semester before he withdrew, um, apparently, to... uh, kind of pursue other interests or have a little soul-searching period, but we're going to talk about it. Um, Used to live in Bristol. He currently lives back in Cheltenham, where he grew up. He is 24 years old now, and he does currently have some health concerns and issues that we're going to talk about. Um, So anyway, here we go. So first, Tom, I want to ask about, let's start at the beginning, kind of at your childhood. So how was it that you first started to play squash? Did your parents play your club? Um, How did it begin? Sure. Um, Well, no, neither of my parents played and and nobody in my family that I knew of did either. It was very much a, a sort of circumstantial thing. A couple of my friends, uh, from primary school played and, uh, had been playing for quite a few years uh, and I was very very fortunate that uh, there was a squash club just walking distance from my primary school and uh, probably even more fortunate for the coach that was there as well um, we can maybe talk more about that if you like but yeah it was my friends when I was about six years old that, that introduced me to squash. And so who is the coach? Uh, it was a guy called Gary Powell he's uh, very much an unsung hero uh, I think he's he's becoming more certainly very well known within Gloucestershire, at least the squash world. Um, but the guy's just uh, he's the amount of players he's produced and the amount of um, yeah he he was just so much more than a coach really. So do you think he kind of was he a big motivation for you, inspiration, part of like what kept you hooked on squash? Yeah, with without a doubt, he's he's probably probably the most influential person. Um, certainly, and it, it, with regards to my squash, yeah, he had such a such a passion for the game and uh, just yeah every detail and almost a bit of an obsession, and and that that was very hard not to transfer that onto us in terms of the games that he got us playing um and the way he the way he challenged us challenged us in terms of the questions he asked and the the things that he demanded of us as well and that's still i think reflective of how i look at the game and yeah it now yeah yeah so you met him when you were, I mean, he was there from the beginning when you first started to play when you were mm, four yeah, so, or five? Or? So, yeah, so six years old, he he was my coach probably until I was about 14 or so, but he'd been coaching long before that and he's still there now. He's about 60 now and he's kind of quite similar, I think, to, to sort of Malcolm Wilstrop. He's just uh, synonymous with that part of the country and yeah. um, maybe he's sort of a bit of a... A, a bit of a marmite kind of person you either love him or you hate him but yeah. 
he has a huge amount of the people that do love him are, are um, like real real followers. Very loyal to yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you about when you started to play about how, um, like, what role your parents had. And I mean, in the States, we kind of refer to helicopter parents that really kind of have a sharp eye on their kids and are pushing them and everything. But <laughs> your parents didn't play and it sounds like they weren't really... Uh, didn't put a lot of pressure on you or anything like that? No, not at all. Um, so so my parents are separated, so I was living with my mom and have done uh, for my whole life. But they were, they both of my parents were very supportive. And in fact, once I started to play more tournaments from quite an early age, maybe 10, maybe 9, um, my dad used to take me to all of my tournaments and... Um, that was very much what our sort of relationship was um, was built around, and uh, and they were both very supportive. Yeah. yeah, yeah so and it was your dad more than your mom that would. Um, I think more. I think just the way things worked out, um, because my dad took me to all of the events and that kind of stuff. He had a much better idea of of squash in general, and uh, and and probably what it meant to me. Whereas my mom was. She was just my mom, you know. She didn't. She didn't care whether I won or lost. She um, yeah. or even now, like even when I was playing the tour, uh, <laughs> she still couldn't figure out like where to find my tournaments on squash site or anything <laughs> like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was it was a nice balance. They were both very supportive in in different ways. Yeah, that's good. I have a, another good friend who a tennis player who competed, and his parents were divorced. But he said he liked. Uh, you know, when he competed and his parents would come and support them and he felt that kind of even though they were divorced, that them kind of cheering him on in his competitions maybe kept them together a bit in their own way. Um, did you play other sports too growing up? Yeah, I did. Um, my mom seems to think that I was... A, that's fine, yeah. My mum my seemed to think that I was... Um, searching for sports i seem to remember being in like interested in sports from quite an early age um but particularly um in in primary school i i was very much into football um and and running and all kinds of things really um yeah 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 but squash was your main focus uh like at what what age was it that you kind of squash became your sort of mm, probably when I started playing tournaments and I think probably more so around uh, the time when I went to secondary school which right. was um, I think early teenage years yeah because when you're when you're in primary school sports just kind of fun it's not all too competitive but right. um, although I was sort of quite quite naturally good at a lot of sports it, it wasn't I, I was becoming more and more serious about my squash and I guess a little bit more concerned about uh, the potential sort of negative impacts of playing sports, and and because I was very small when I was young, okay. uh, I thought the risk of just getting killed by someone in rugby was pretty high. Was so high, um, yeah. <laughs> it was slightly different to the sort of jun- uh, primary school days of tag rugby, where you just had to be quick. So uh, yeah. so yeah, I, I sort of decided to 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 just focus on squash from from quite an early age, maybe too young. And it was also because you liked it the best of the sports. Oh, ab- absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was um, captivated by it from right from the beginning, and um, you loved the sport. Mm, yeah, and and um, it's only really since I've thought about it 
I guess over these past few years that like the amount of times that I think this is something that certainly I would recommend is I I remember I, I my my coach actually um he said that I didn't go to enough of his sessions during the week oh. I think I was still I was probably only going to maybe three sessions a week and um compared to like some of the other people of my age who were going almost every day right and um and I think that's maybe something that my parent my parents and my mum was suggesting is to you know don't do too much too soon and um but what what he he maybe failed to realize or that I didn't even realize was being of benefit was regardless of whether I went to his sessions or not I was always hitting a ball against like the wall outside my yeah, house absolutely. Yeah. and uh, the, I just think the amount of hours that I put in doing that was was a yeah a huge amount of practice that I just didn't even think of as training or practice at the time but yeah. I think it had such a huge impact on my development I also, I guess it depends on what was the, what those coaching sessions were like or how they were organized. I think that it is very important to never lose the love of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think too much coaching or, you know, kids not having fun with the sport and being Mm -hmm. overcoached and having the love of the game kind of coached out of them is, uh, I think, kind of a problem that happens in the States sometimes. So I, my opinion on that would be, I don't think it would be a problem to do three sessions or to do less than every day. Mm. Yeah. And I I think from, even from quite an early age, I was quite curious about exploring things for myself. Mm. And, uh, and that's, I don't know how, how conscious of it I was, but that's certainly reflective of how I am now. And, but yeah, I very much felt like I learned things at, um, when I went to the sessions and the coaching and I, I, they certainly weren't uh, sort of rigid, normal coaching sessions. Um, but they, they provided food for thought. And, and okay. that's what I think that's what I used when I, when I had that time to myself to just completely explore the game or what I was interested in at, the, at that time. Yeah. Um, and so then when you were um, playing, uh, did you, as kind of things started to kick off and you squash became a bigger and bigger focus in your life, did you feel any kind of pressure uh, when you were competing about results or as it became more important to you, was there, um, you know, a greater kind of sense of expectations and pressure that you felt with that? I think I decided quite early on um, how how much I wanted to to be a squash player and how much it meant to me. So I think, but I think the pressure always came from myself. Really, it okay. was just the expectation of what I wanted to achieve. So, um, but I wouldn't say that came from uh, from external sources. Certainly not in the early early days. Yeah. Mm. Did you ha- would you say you had a role model growing up as a squash player? Um, yeah, I, I used to love uh, watching Peter Nickel because he was left-handed yeah. and uh, sort of a very <laughs> as you are too, tra- yeah, yeah, as a very sort of traditional uh, English player that we were <laughs> probably told to look up to as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I was very I was very much inspired by watching him play and. And just particularly, so I think just the consistency of of 
the reputation that he'd built and obviously the things that he achieved. Right. Uh, an unbelievable, uh, yeah, career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you about the, so the kind of transition, how is the transition from the juniors to the professional tour? You you kind of went pro or started playing professional tournaments when you were 18, is that right? Yeah, so um, I think I think even before that, I think when I when I sort of went to sixth form, uh, which is where you do your A levels, um, I'd already decided that I wanted to be a professional. And really, that young? Yeah. Okay. Um, and and to be honest, I, I'm grateful that I didn't, but um, but I probably listened to the advice of going to stay on for for sixth form, despite not necessarily wanting to. Um, but yeah, like very much squash was my main focus at that period of time. And, uh, you know, because of, um, because you're only doing sort of three or four subjects, uh, you had, you have sort of free periods and that kind of stuff. And, and my, my house was so close to my school that I would often do, do my lessons in the morning, say, or if I, if I ever had a couple of periods free, I would cycle home and train. Mm. Um, I had like a (laughs) A spinning bike in my house okay. uh, where I where I would do some some horrible bike sessions and, and maybe if I had enough time I would go to go and cycle to the club and practice as well and mm-hmm. um, so I was already sort of trying to prepare myself for for training as a pro uh, during my A-levels I wouldn't say I was too I wasn't really there <laughs> for my A-levels if you know what I mean okay um but yeah so I, d- I decided to to turn pro when I was when I was 18 once my A-levels were finished and uh, as most people who have joined the tour know, it's not, you don't often get into tournaments straight away. So there was probably a year where yeah. I was playing uh, sort of close satellite events, which are sort of specifically for the country you're in. And right. um, yeah, it was about after it, about a year before I got into my first sort of professional $5,000 event. Yeah. But that's amazing that you kind of knew that young that you sort of this is what you wanted to do. I think in the states it's a little bit different. I know that the schooling system is different in the states. So just for everyone back home, your A levels is kind of our equivalent to high school. That's like yeah, when you're. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Just like sixteen to eighteen, 16 where you to 18. specialize in three or four subjects. Right. Yep. So that's great. And did. I just want to ask a little bit about the, if you're open to talking about it, the kind of the relationship with the governing body here, England Squash, uh, did they sort of support you, take you under their wing when you decided to, or as you kind of were among that crop of young British players that was, you know, going pro, you were a top junior and were going to kind of in that next crop of players that were going to make it um what was kind of that was there a lot of communication there yeah yes definitely and uh i think um particularly around that time there was a lot of talk between myself and england squash because yeah i mean it's a big decision to turn professional and i was entertaining the idea of going to university as well or at least i was open to it because there certainly wasn't a shortage of people that were telling me that it would be a good idea to go. Okay. Um, and to ironically, go yeah, ironically, like or who are, um, I think just people just in my general sphere, just, right. uh, who care 
offer their opinion and sure. think that it's a good idea to have a plan B. And just thinking about it now, actually, um, I um, I think it must have been when I was about eighteen. I play. I actually played an exhibition match with Peter Nickel at Canary Wharf. Yeah. And and I got to chat with him then, and we sort of started a bit of a, a dialogue after that, and he. He gave me some very sound advice, which I took, which was um, when he was in the same position when he was 18, um, he decided to take a a year to go full time and um, go all out at it. And at the end of the year, sort of assess where he was at. And if he wasn't achieving the things that he wanted to achieve, then he would go to university. Right. And that's very much what I decided to do in the end. Um, the fact that I had been sort of particularly in that last year of my junior career and um, starting to make real progress with my squash and um, so yeah England squash were very supportive in terms of putting me on the the academy squad or like the transitional squad which okay. um, sort of gives funding to juniors or people that have just finished the juniors who are looking to 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 turn to turn professional right yeah. so so from a financial perspective and and also in terms of sort of arranging national squads which i would go to um yes the they they were supportive okay yeah good good and so during that period was it i mean i suppose you had friends and whatnot that were not doing your path but were going to university and you were doing a different thing is that was is that at all an issue here in england or not not really uh no i wouldn't say so and also just because um i i didn't really have a lot of friends that weren't squash players really um because as i said i i wasn't really there at school you know like i had friends when i was at school but i never i never invested time to see anyone outside of it because i was too focused on playing squash so you had a pretty squash centric world when oh, ab- you were yeah absolutely young. absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. your life mm, for yeah. sure. Um, well, brilliant. So you went professional. Um, you know, got funding and everything from England Squash. I wanted to ask you. So who was coaching you at the time? Because you did eventually during your early years of your pro career, you came to Bristol to work with Hadrian Stiff. That's right, right? Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. what precipitated that or why did you seek him out or he uh, contacted you or how did um how did it come to be that you ended up here under his tutelage sure so um as i said i sort of followed uh the wise words of pete nickel maybe took it slightly too seriously because okay. <laughs> i um sort of quite a driven person anyway and had, I think, and I think for most people, when you first start, you don't really have an idea of what you're doing. Um, and I very much was under the impression that uh, I had, I had probably had the wrong idea about what being a pro was. And uh, I think I just worked far too hard and put far too much pressure on myself early on. And yeah, so for most of my most of my junior career, I'd been because I'd grew up on on the sort of England squash system. We were yeah. always assigned an England squash coach. So I worked with after after sort of leaving uh, Gary in Cheltenham, probably when I was about fourteen. I started working with Kia Worth for a bit, who's now the um, sure. the, the top guy at England squash. Can't think of the the, the title. 
Um, so I worked him, with him for a bit, and I was also working with Fiona Geeves in yeah. Cheltenham, uh, probably until I was about 18. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah, I probably was working with her still in those early early years of being a pro. Um, but we were also getting sort of bits of advice from people such as Chris Robertson and David Campion from uh, who were who were the national coaches at the time. So I was getting a bit of input from them, but I wouldn't have really classed them as my coaches. Um, and I think I think to, to answer your question, really, um, I I sort of ended up working with Hadrian by accident. Um, okay. It was probably. 2013 so sort of the, the following year of turning professional um and I, I was hating it I, I was putting way too much pressure on myself and I felt like um I, I felt quite unjust by how I was being treated by England squash certain uh, um. certain sort of comments that were being made and um what I just felt was a general lack of understanding and support, um, sort of emotional or mental support. Um, and I didn't feel like I had anyone to turn to. So I, I, I sort of loosely knew Adrian and yeah. I just wanted to talk to somebody outside of that, that bracket, because I, as I said, I'd never had a coach that wasn't from England squash. Right. Um, so I very much, I just phoned him and, uh, he'd, he'd sort of seen me playing, in the juniors, I guess, but we'd never really spoken before. And, uh, yeah, I just sort of opened up to him and, and, uh, it seems like such a long time ago now, but, um, yeah, he, he was very understanding and he, he sort of, I just remember feeling fantastic after talking to him so much clearer, um, and, and sort of, it sort of promised the idea that like being pro could be fun yeah and uh, and that very much drew me to wanting to go and see him in Bristol. I think he might have even offered for me to come because I was still living in Cheltenham at the time and uh and yeah i so i just I just decided to start going. I think it was initially just to talk and then I started wanting to have sessions with him and then you know before I knew it i was I was moving to Bristol yeah that's uh yeah really interesting sort of similar you know for me and how I kind of you know wasn't happy and you know seek out someone else who's on the outside and kind of move in a different direction I want to ask you why so why were you hating it and the tour I don't know how much detail you are willing to go into about England squash or whatever that dynamic was but also is was it you were kind of miserable on tour because the you didn't like the lifestyle of a professional player. Your results weren't what weren't as good as you wanted them to be. Or why? I mean, you were quite keen when you were young to go pro, and then you go pro, and I think maybe I'm suspecting kind of England squash expectations, pressure. You're on the funding, and all this kind of difficulty comes with that. Why do you think you weren't enjoying the tour? Um, yeah, so so at that point, I hadn't actually started traveling yet. So I don't okay. think the lifestyle itself had, had, had contributed right. to that. Um, I would I would just say um, I was just taking taking myself and, and squash too seriously. Like I was under the impression that's what being a pro was about, you know, like uh, yeah. this is your job, you know. And, and I put a, a huge amount of pressure on myself to try and achieve I think maybe because I thought I only had that year <laughs> sure. and because I knew that I wasn't 
I was never the best player in, in juniors. I always, which is certainly a good thing. I related my success to hard work. Um, yeah, I think it's a very good thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that that was, um, I'm very grateful f- for that fact. But I think, I guess consciously, I thought, well, if I just keep working harder, then I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get better. And, and I think um, I probably, yeah, I probably wasn't getting the results I was expecting or hoping for and uh, and making progress as quickly as I wanted. And yep. uh, yeah, just, just the balance was completely off. It was like sort of 100% determination and, and wanting it too badly and 0% fun. Yeah. Uh, which is definitely not a balance that works for me. Yeah, no, that's not a good formula. Yeah. yeah. Um, for some people it might be, but for me, definitely not. Yeah, not for me either. Um, I'm kind of curious and I sort of <laughs> want to ask you because... Hit me with it. Come on. I Yeah, well, I arrived in Bristol about a year and a half ago and that's when we met. And since then, we've kind of become good friends. Um, and ever since I've known you, you've been, I guess, kind of very deep, sort of spiritual you know zen person we kind of make little jokes so you know tom tom ford you know doing a sort of yoga and maybe you know converting <laughs> to uh you know buddhism or something but from my understanding it that you weren't always like that you changed before kind of as you're saying it was all squash and too much pressure and you know my results need to be this and it's dominating my life and then from when i met you a year and a half ago to lots of other interests um kind of operating a little bit differently no kind of living life your own way so was that change a result of coming to bristol and sort of discovering a new life or new interests here yeah i think it's a it's a combination of things um but def definitely bristol and hadrian and elite squash uh very much open that up i think um i think as as you said you know like i because i decided to that that was the path i wanted to go on from quite an early age i, I would almost you know, liken it to a, you know, a horse when it's got its blinders on. Sure. And, uh, and, and I said, uh, maybe because of the fact that I had associated sort of hard work with success, I, I didn't want to let anything else in. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And I think that's unhealthy and, and, yeah. uh, and sooner or later, there's a breaking point to that. And, Absolutely. and I certainly reached a few of those. Um, so coming to Bristol, lightening up a little bit having just a different perspective you know to to the 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 sort of england squash system that i'd grown up in uh, i only had one idea of what being a pro or how to approach being a professional would be like and um and i think you know yeah like bristol's a very liberal city um i was very very influenced by hadrian and uh, i think I yeah it was just at a time when I was open and and I realized that there are there are a huge amount of things in the environment in coming to Bristol that were aligned with who I felt I was that I hadn't really had the opportunity to uh, explore or express up until that point right so you wouldn't say it was one morning you just woke up here in Bristol and thought you know I want to live my life differently it oh no definitely definitely not I mean but 
to a certain extent, I think because I was so extremely the other way, I, I think those things do tend to happen quite quickly because you're when you when you get broken like that, everything just opens up. You know, whereas if 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 it's not quite as extreme, then then things things tend to happen a little bit more subtly. But I would sure. say I felt like I changed um, quite quite quickly, actually. Yeah. yeah. But but then that obviously developed and um, yeah developed over time. Yeah. For sure, it wasn't like I'm as I am now two years ago. Like yeah. that's very much been a an ongoing sort of exploration. I love that quote in Fight Club, the the film, when uh, you know he says it's only after we lose everything that we're truly free to to mm. do anything. To, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so getting into kind of uh, <laughs> sort of I guess the leading up to the meat of this uh, interview, and um, so your professional career. After you moved to Bristol, it was going well. You, uh, at least from an outsider looking in, it appeared to be going well. You won two 10K tournaments in a row in America at the end of 2015. You, in early, mid-2016, you won another 10K, got to another final. Um, Results were coming. You were ranked about 60 in the world was your highest, but certainly kind of poised to sort of shoot ahead, picking up momentum. And I think to a surprise to me and to maybe Hadrian and a lot of people, you decided to, I guess, essentially quit. No thanks, not for me. I don't want to play professionally anymore. Um, And my question, I guess, is just why? Sure. Um, Well, I I think there's quite a bit of background to that. So... um... I played the tour really extensively for four years, and yeah. particularly once I once I'd had that conversation with Hadrian and started to work with him more regularly, things changed quite dramatically. Um, I think more or less like the second or third tournament, I, well, I, I I I did very well on the tour from from right from the beginning, really, at least in my eyes. Okay. Um, like I was once I'd made that change to having a, a different coach and different perspective, that very much changed. Uh, my outlook on playing and um at that point the balance was right you know and uh I I had some very fun years traveling and playing um and I mean not to gloss over it because there's obviously lots of things within that but it's quite hard to pinpoint a period but I think the the signs were kind of there before and and looking back on it now like knowing uh, about the fatigue that I have now, I, I'm pretty sure the the signs were uh, like it was actually prevalent before I uh, before I decided to stop. But um, towards that sort of last year of playing, I think it was 2016, I was just feeling really worn out, and uh, and I think just opening up more and more to my other to to, to who I was really, and um, right. and. There was a lot to it other than just the squash player that I'd, I'd sort of, I guess, my whole identity had been based on before that. And um, I'd, I'd sort of, I think, very much sort of awoken to um, how sort of spiritually orientated I was and was very much sort of wrestling with what playing squash meant for me. 
Um, and that was extremely difficult for someone who had spent most of their life wanting to uh, be world champion and cared so much about like winning and losing. Sure. And uh, I, again, I can't really think of a, if there's a moment within that, but there was just a whole period of confusion. Like I, I was very much open to Hadrian's philosophy, and I'd 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 probably gone. I'd gone all in on that really um, to the point where I was a lot more focused on my own sort of internal processes and what everything felt like on court that I'd, uh, I'd sort of forgotten that I had to go and win a match. But there was also sort of mentally, I'd for, for whatever reason, I just didn't care so much whether I won or lost yeah. because of the, the fact that I knew there was so much more to, to life and me than... Than winning a match yeah and uh i think around that period i went to india as well um for, for tournaments but i also went and trained with sarav gosal before and yeah I, I, I mean just getting the opportunity to go to places like that kind of puts things into perspective and um i i just couldn't couldn't get my head around like the fact that all of that stuff was going on in the world and i thought that it was everything to you know, like whether I made the first round or the second round of yeah. an event. We definitely um, kind of have those moments where you kind of look at everything that's going on in the world and you think, you know, really, it's not such a big deal whether I win or lose this match mm. as I thought it was. Yeah. But sort of during that period also, I something clicked and, and I realized that, you know, that, that didn't matter so much. And, and that's when I won those two events in Canada, uh, the two 10Ks. But it's, it seems like a bit of a mishmash, I guess, because it's still so so recently. I haven't had um, time to kind of piece it all together. But I think I, I won. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd managed to figure out uh, a way to win in a way that was working for me. But I think I just felt empty with it. I'd won. I'd won sort of like my two biggest two the biggest title of my career, yeah. the ten k, and then just two weeks afterwards, I won another one and. Um, I think I think just in short, I was I was burnt out on on every level. But and, you you felt a bit hollow, maybe even with those wins, you felt they kind of weren't bringing yeah, the you, they didn't mean as much to you, and it's sort of to what end is all this? Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I and that that sort of made me think. Now I've I very much returned from that. So <laughs> that was an interesting trip because I. I sort of had three tournaments back to back and it was by far the most successful month of my career in terms of uh, points and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I got to 60 in the world. And, but after that, I then went to, um, I went to Vancouver for a week to, to just hang out with, with my friend Vicky Lust, who was on the podcast and did a bit of squash. I went to New York for a week to sort of see new york and and then i ended up going to the bvi as well the british virgin islands to train with um joe chapman and see the bvi fantastic (laughs) Um, yeah but i think that was just a long trip you know and i came back and i was i just wasn't inspired the the questions in my head were i'm not or am i willing to kind of put myself what i've been through for this you know for because you know, this is probably one of the best, it is the best period of my career. Yeah. And uh, I'm not happy. It's probably, yeah, I'm not happy sure. with it. Yeah. So, um, 
and that and that's that's that was sort of part of the burnout as i said mentally mentally i i just didn't feel like i was willing to make the sacrifice physically i was i was exhausted at the time i don't think i quite realized how much emotionally i wasn't sort of nurturing the the type of relationships that i wanted i wasn't i wasn't um i was as i said like i'd i'd kind of got to the point where i'd realized um i was realizing more about myself and my other interests but i hadn't quite sort of manifested um friends or or people that i could express that with at the time so i was i felt emotionally quite empty um and and spiritually too you know like my 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 world was opening up and i i didn't i didn't really know what that meant you know it's like yeah. well how can i how can i combine this sort of very sort of spiritually orientated person to you know going out and winning a squash match and being a pro right so um I had a lot of questions and and not okay. many answers yeah and uh, and I was exhausted <laughs> right yeah well I just want to quickly kind of I was gonna say that you kind of mentioned the fatigue and everything Tom uh, is struggling with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome now and we're going to get to that in a second but I I want to also just a little kind of I guess were a word about sort of Hadrian, uh, Hadrian Stiff. He has kind of a very holistic, open approach to squash. He like kind of promotes a very creative, kind of free-flowing kind of game. And he himself has a lot of interests and things that he's passionate about outside the game. So I think similar to, you know, my experience with him when I came here is I think he helped lift the the blinders on the horse mm. off of my eyes too and kind of you know broaden my scope and my vision of you know there's more to life and everything um but i want to ask just a little bit more about the decision to stop playing because looking mm. at this i think you could you know you come to bristol you have a coach that you click with um you know world opens up the blinders of the horse come off and uh, kind of your the old way of approaching squash. This is my life. This is all I do. My kind of self-worth hinges on this and I have to win and I want to be world number one. That whole approach kind of breaks and crumbles down. And I think a new approach that's healthier and more realistic can kind of start to grow and build up from that then but you decided that you know it's this isn't really for me and was there something else like another specific reason or passion that you then wanted to pursue you kind of enrolled in ue is that like another direction that you wanted to go in or you kind of weren't sure yeah definitely Around that period, I was I became very interested in in business and the whole sort of creative entrepreneurship side of things. Uh, I I had the idea to to do this podcast that I'd, I wanted to do for a long time, yeah. and um, yeah, I think that was very much a part of my interests that I wanted to explore. And uh, I was trying when I was playing the tour, and I didn't feel like I could concentrate on them both at the same time. So, um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, when you're mentioning about the, the horse blinders, I think it's a really, really healthy process to let them go open. But I think I'm quite, I'm definitely like a person of extremes. So I wanted to let that go out as far as possible before I returned. Yeah. That's very much what 
I believe balance to be about. You know, it's the same as when I first went pro. I I trained way too hard. Like, but then I then probably around, or certainly in these last periods, I I haven't barely trained at all. So, but it's only when you kind of go to those extremes that you find your balance. And I'd certainly gone to that extreme in terms of a professional squash and and how I would have gone about that. So I wanted to go to the other extreme of what does this look like when that's gone? Yeah. Because I, I think I always wanted to know what that balance was yeah. to have that option to return. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you know, was well kind of thought out and you had your reasons for stopping and you're happy with that and everything. I, the reason I ask is because I, I went through a period where I thought about quitting as well. I think maybe for different reasons than you, but I just, the lifestyle, the constant traveling, um, you know, the pressure, kind of feeling like I didn't relate as well to, you know, kind of just players on tour, um, like to talk about different things, was had other interests, other things I like to do. And I thought about... Um, kind of quitting. And I still liked squash and I thought, you know, maybe I'll still play in the league matches here, but I'll maybe go to school at UE. I thought about kind of doing that as well and just play league and 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 do that and play squash on just on my terms really. And I remember talking to people like Hadrian and also my dad and some other people and the advice that I got from them was um if if you want to quit, then quit. That's fine. But make sure that it's a positive decision and you're choosing to do something else that you're really passionate about. You know, it's important to distinguish between that and also choosing a path that's just easier. Because I think the reality was, and what Hadrian would say told me once, is that... um sure, going to study or whatever and just playing league matches, that's fine, but that's also just much easier to do. Traveling and playing on tour and, you know, with the points and the money and, you know, the national government button, you know, all is harder, but kind of the difficulty and challenges and struggles, the kind of experiencing those things is ultimately is ultimately what's going to push you forward as a person in life, in your growth and everything. So if you want to quit, quit, but don't take, don't do it because you're just kind of taking the easy way out. You don't feel like that was, you don't feel that you took the easy way out. That wasn't what you wanted to do. Well, no, that I was actually going to, going to comment on that and say that I think the easy decision would would have been for me to have carried on really because of how the trajectory that I was on and okay. uh, the support that I was getting. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I don't, I don't feel like to be honest, any of the decisions that I've made over these past few years have been the easy one. I'm quite an introspective person anyway, but um, I've just tried to listen to my heart yeah. and I know, I don't know if I can explain that well, but um it's more of like just like a sixth sense yeah, of what you like I needed. I trust my judgment. Yeah. And uh, and what I what I believe to be true. And 
yeah, I knew for a fact at that point that I was I was done. Had England squash um, kind of maybe been more supportive, or perhaps said different things at different times, or whatever? Would that have changed the decision, or not really? It wouldn't have changed the decision. No. Yeah. Uh, would it have helped make the decision a little easier? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing, the thing that surprised me was um, there wasn't so much of a, a, a question of why. Yeah, and um, and I think that's that's important to try and know, and and particularly if you're if you're supporting an individual or a person, on whatever level, to to ask why helps. Yeah, <laughs> to help better understand that person, and also to, for your own good in the future. Yeah, but that being said, you know they 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 did support, and but they're. You know, I, yeah, I, I was surprised at how little uh, I was asked or, um, and why, yeah. Okay. And what, what could have been different, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, so I want to just ask quickly about how is Yui? You went and enrolled, did your entrepreneurship program. It seemed like I've met some of your good Yui friends. They're fantastic. They're so, uh, they're so much fun, but you... Um, you stopped the course after uh, after your first semester. You found out that it kind of was different than you expected, or it wasn't really your passion after all. Or um, what was that ex- experience like? I think similarly to um, to a certain extent with England squash, uh, I felt too restricted. I don't feel like I fit into a box, and yep. uh, I think that's largely what university does. Uh, but that being said. I have no regrets about going to university at all. Uh, I wanted to experience it. I would have regretted not experiencing it. Some people might say that I didn't fully experience it, but uh, I've met some of my closest friends at uni. Um, I got the opportunity to express who I was beyond Tom Ford, the squash player there, and that's how I attracted and met the friends that I have now from from there. Um, So to that extent... It was a it was a great decision uh, in terms of uh, the direction that I want to move in. I I didn't feel like it was um, it was the right thing for me. Okay. Well, you know that's fantastic. I, so I want to ask a little bit about. Uh, I don't know how open you are about uh, the the health issues and things, but um, you know, you said I could ask you anything. So sure. Uh, at the moment, you are struggling with chronic fatigue syndrome is that right so i believe yeah yeah um we know a couple people pete marshall uh who's um you know had it as well i feel like it's one of those things that is not um is not super well understood even by the experts or by normal people like me um i want to ask you about that when at what point did you think that you had it or did it dawn on you that there was really kind of something wrong with you physically mm. well I, well i knew there was something wrong with me physically when i stopped after that period in in canada when you beginning. stopped playing yeah. professional squash yeah um so that was a long time ago yeah. kind of. okay and reflecting on it now as as i said i've already said the signs were there a year before that really so to sort of put it into perspective i guess as i said i I was 
burnt out on every level when I stopped. Um, so it wasn't really apparent because I'd, I'd stopped training and exercising altogether. And I, I wanted quite a bit of time to myself as well. It was only really when I started to, to play a little bit more. So for most of 2016, I'd, I'd, I'd more or less stopped playing altogether. I played a few tournaments, but also went to uni. So I wasn't, didn't play a huge amount then. I think it most became most apparent in 2017, but the signs were there before. I think maybe I made it worse in 2017 because I was playing, because I was no longer getting support from the university. I was having to make more money to live. Um, so I was playing uh, leagues, foreign leagues, and right. uh, that was probably like the worst thing to do uh, for fatigue because I was just um, on sort of exercise spectrum. Squash matches, one of the hardest things, along with the travel. Um, I was just constantly beating my system down and not doing anything in between or able to do anything in between. Certainly in that, in those, uh, at the beginning of 2017, um, yeah, spent a lot of time in bed. So what um, what does it feel like to have chronic fatigue? Is it um, uh, I mean, how did you? Was there a? Because I mean, I I've known you for a year and a half. When I kind of first you know met you and you know hanging out, it wasn't so much of an issue. But then was there was there a certain moment when you kind of woke up and you just kind of couldn't even get out of bed or just getting through normal day-to-day stuff was exhausting or um, what, uh, like what, what does it feel like as opposed to just being tired? Sure. I don't think there was a specific moment. There was always a background tiredness. Um, But when it became more apparent, just have like nothing to give, you know, like um, when you're tired, you just need to like, you can still get away with doing normal things. <laughs> um, but it's, it's very difficult to explain. But I, um, yeah, like standing up is tiring. Um, wow. Yeah. I would be playing, I'd be playing my matches, but afterwards, yeah, I, I, I could barely, yeah, like it, it would be tiring to stand up in the shower. I would want to go to bed straight away. Right. Um, it's it's very hard to explain because it's not. It doesn't feel like it's a. It's like a physical or like an externally physical symptom. It's um. It feels like something deeper than that. You know, like on a hormonal or cellular level. Okay. I I, I think my immune system and my hormonal system is so depleted that um, you don't have those kind of energy exuding hormones you know right like it's just like being on a permanent low um and it makes it very difficult to concentrate for periods of time yeah it just generally very debilitating feel very weak uh no 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 go i I don't know how to how to say that you know there's no there's no spark no spark at all sort of even sounds a little bit like depression as well but this is a physical thing it is but it can be very it it can be very depressing too. And I think those, uh, um, I don't think those two help each other, you know, but, um, yeah, I kind of want to ask because, um, I, I think, you know, what you're, it's, it's different than, you know, just a muscle being tired or being stiff and tight or just kind of being tired. It, so you were talking about a cellular, cellular level or hormonal, it kind of goes deeper than that. But I also, I went through a stage in university when I, 
you know, was under a lot of stress and anxiety and pressure and then kind of dealing with some, you know, personal issues as well and uh, felt kind of very unmotivated, um, defeated. And I dealt with that by, I, I withdrew from my activities, from my friends. There were certain things during the day that I had to do on some days. I mean, during the squash season, I had to go to squash practice from for an hour and a half or two hours in the late afternoon, evening. I had to go to my precepts, we called them, which were, uh, you know, not the big lectures, but when you meet in smaller groups with the teacher's assistant groups of 10 to 12, because attendance was recorded. So those were a couple weeks I had to do that. Um, outside of that, I just went back to my room and became a hermit, basically, didn't kind of just withdrew myself. And I found that during that period, I like had extremely low energy, was very, very tired. And I don't know if I would say it was similar to what you're experiencing, because I think the way, I mean, standing up in the shower is maybe a bit more extreme, but... I remember on some days doing one thing, even if it was like getting up and walking across the you know yard to go get a meal, that was, I found that exhausting. Um, after a while, I sort of snapped out of it by kind of committing to do more things. Like, you know, there's a, a party here and I'm going to go to that. You know, I said I was going to go and I don't care how I'm feeling. I'm just going to go. And, you know, I'm going to go and meet these friends. I'm going to go to these, you know, student groups or clubs. And I kind of got <clears throat> busier <clears throat> after a while. And I found that once I started doing those things more, my energy was, was fine. I went, I actually ended up having fun. I felt fine. I wasn't nearly as tired, exhausted and fatigued as I thought I was. So I'm just wondering, because looking at, you know, your schedule, it seems like the chronic fatigue kind of got worse and really set in as you sort of had slightly less going on, sort of not playing professionally, not doing the UE anymore. How much of it do you think is a mental component versus how much do you think it's a physically something that's sort of wrong with your system? Hmm. I know that it's physical. Okay. I don't. I don't think I can explain it very well, um, yeah. and I think that's because it well, we're is, not expecting you to be a doctor. Yeah, I think that. But even I mean, yeah. from my own experience, I don't even think the doctors really know what about it. But okay. um, you know, I knew from the beginning it was physical. I certainly think that um, because of that. It, it began to affect me a lot mentally. Yeah. Um, but the physical you know, came first. Yeah. It, it was yeah. always physical first because I, I wanted to be doing stuff. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I, you a know, like motivation. I, the reason or... I, you know, the reason why I wanted, I would never wanted to stop playing squash to then do nothing. Right. Like my, I was, which is why it was one of the hardest decisions for me because I knew based on how much I want, like my, my high achieving personality, like I, 
I was like, you're not going to leave this and then not do anything. Um, so yeah, it, the, the, the motivation for me was always there to be out and to do things, uh, but my body wouldn't permit it. And that's what made me depressed. Right. Um, and the fact that I think that that was always when it was worse. I think a good way of explaining it is the fatigue is always there, but when I'm tired with it, that's fine because I go home and I rest and I know that I need the rest. I see. The The challenging part, which is a lot of the time, is when the fatigue is still there, but mentally and emotionally I want to be out with friends or I want to be working towards something. Yeah, okay. And that's when I, that's when I become vulnerable mentally. I see. And, uh, and that is the, that is one of the, one of the predominant reasons why I decided to move home and to stop playing squash altogether because right. it was affecting me quite damagingly mentally and emotionally. Yeah, sure. And, uh, yeah, to the point where it was probably more even. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I wasn't kind of willing to go down that path. Yeah. So now these days there's, uh, occasionally times when I'm out on tour and people ask me, what's going on with Tom Ford now? What's, what's his <laughs> deal? What's, uh, you know, how does he kind of fill his days? You know, basically kind of what's, what's he doing with his life? To which I usually just say, well, I don't know, ask him. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, I don't know either. I'm not with him all day, every day. Or, um, yeah. or, you know, I say, well, you know, he's, you know, doing his podcast. He, you know, has concerns about his health so he's kind of in limbo right now kind of sorting that out or what so what what do you say what do you you know what's a typical kind of day now um that's always a good question for me to answer um <laughs> well as i said i've i've put my my health as is like my number one priority at the yeah. moment i think i think that maybe going back to a question you asked before was I always knew that the fatigue was there. I don't yeah. think I ever took it as seriously as I should have done. Okay. Um, because I thought I just needed time. Right. Um, whereas now I've I realised that, you know, I have an illness really. Like there is there's something wrong with my body that I need to uh, address. Right. Um. So that that is very much at the forefront of my mind, and you know, very much what dictates my day. Um, I'm tr instead of sort of because I'm no longer playing uh, professionally in terms of playing league matches I'm able to do um, I'm trying to do little bits of exercise or training every day and build my system up slowly and then in the meantime I would say a, a way of explaining it to you that it's maybe not a direct answer of what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis but an idea of my focus is you know the past year or so as I said before I I stopped because I was burnt out on all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. For the past year or so, I've dedicated a lot of my time and mental energy towards uh, mental and spiritual recovery. Yeah. Um, through uh, a lot of time sort of reflecting, asking myself important questions, kind of looking in the mirror a little bit and uh, and gaining more knowledge and understanding about myself and and just in general whereas i feel like i've done enough of that now and okay. uh, this period at the moment is very much about physical and emotional recovery um the physical kind of takes care of itself or i've explained that already in terms of regular exercise 
seeing the people that I need to see to get support on yeah. a more regular basis. And the emotional side of things is is connecting more. Yeah. Spending time with, with friends and, and nurturing relationships that are important to me that I haven't had the chance to do while when I was playing competitively because I didn't have the energy. Yeah. So those those two, my physical and my emotional health are by far my highest priority. Um, and then in, in the meantime, I'm still, um, trying to keep taking steps towards making this podcast a reality. Yep. So just quickly, how helpful was, I know you met with, you know, Pete Marshall, you've been meeting with, um, kind of some medical experts on this. Um, how helpful has that been if at all, and how kind of optimistic or confident are you that you will, um, get over the fatigue? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that talking to anyone has particularly helped in a sense of getting a cut and dry answer, Sure. but what it has made me realize is, or what the process has done is helped me to kind of track back and, and think about, um, what might have caused it and yeah. And, and, and admit and accepting the fact that, that it is a serious thing. But with that being said, I think the the decision to move home and to stop playing competitively and to be building my system up slowly and steadily as um I've made a huge amount of progress over the past couple of months and I'm I'm really really optimistic about the direction that I'm heading in and, yeah. and what I'm heading towards that's great yeah um, and I yeah I have the right kind of people around me to to help yeah. kind of assist with that yeah that'll make a big difference well Kind of coming down to the end, I'm sort of switching gears uh, slightly, I guess. I'm going to just kind of ask you some kind of uh, quick fire questions and then um, uh, just a few other kind of last bits of advice and things that you might have. So uh, anyway, we'll go through these questions quickly. Are you ready? Sure, let's go. All right. We'll start with this one because this will be much later. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Um, coffee, <laughs> decaf ones at the moment. There. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Dogs. What did you eat for breakfast today? I had porridge with some almond milk and seeds and berries and all that fancy stuff. <laughs> Sounds lovely. Yeah, what is was. your, uh, what's your favorite food? Pizza. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would it be? Right, what, right now? Yeah, right now. Exactly. Uh, India. Um, would you consider yourself a morning or a night person? Morning. If you could trade lives with anyone, <laughs> who would it be? For how long? <laughs> oh, jeez. A week. Roger Federer comes up. Yeah. And then if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would that be? If you have a couple people that you can't decide between, that's fine too. Um, Tony Robbins. He's the first person that comes to mind. Why is that? I just think he's, he's hugely inspirational. I really look up to him and I feel like he would... He would probably give the most value or be the most valuable <laughs> period of time to spend with someone. <laughs> good, good. Do you have a favorite film? Really like Avatar. Avatar. Um, yeah. yeah, I love the concept of that and the, the deeper meaning behind it. 
or at least the one that i interpret of it i saw it on the big screen and thought it was amazing Mm -hmm. um and do you have a favorite book well um i don't know you know i like to read so favorite or most influential i mean there are huh okay we'll do uh yeah two questions what book do you think is the most influential or has had like the biggest impact on you and then what book do you most enjoy reading yeah okay so the most influential book i've ever read by far is a new earth by eckhart tolle yeah you recommended that yeah i haven't read that yeah um yeah amazing i've read it a few times and it it very much helped in um sort of expanding my awareness opening up my world and understanding a lot of the questions that i had certainly in those in that early period of time when i was playing yeah uh, as for my favorite book, I would probably say it's Shantaram, the one that I'm reading at the moment that you got me. I was uh, hoping you would yeah, say that. God. I was waiting for that. Well, I got it from Steve Carpenter, so... Mm, yeah, yeah. It's, it's by far uh, the, my favorite book that I've read, for sure. Yeah. Is that maybe part of your inspiration for wanting to go to India? Well, I, I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, I've been probably saying to quite a few people that I've been wanting to go to India for a long time Okay. Uh, since I went, and uh, I, I feel like reading this book has kind of been my trip to India yeah. rather than feeling like the need to go now. So. <laughs> oh, I think you I, still I definitely, need to go. I definitely will go, but, uh, yeah. but not at this moment. I'm glad you're enjoying it. When I read that book, I actually thought, I thought, you know, you're going to love that book. I thought it was right up your alley. So I'm, I'm glad that you say that, that it's yeah. one of your favorites. That's a beaut. So then lastly, just a few other questions. They're a bit... Um, difficult but i guess i just want to ask you how you right now here today how would you define success acting or yeah acting in complete alignment with my values yeah fantastic yeah and i think that's the best way to discover what your purpose is if you can identify what your values are and you act on them then uh, you don't need to know your purpose immediately. Yeah, yeah. And then what advice would you give to young athletes today based on your experience and your kind of trials, tribulation struggles? Slow down. Take the time or use the time to explore all of yourself. Yeah. And then lastly question that i'm and i know other people are curious about oh, God. <laughs> do you think you'll ever play squash professionally again yes wow well fantastic thank you so much tom it's been an absolute pleasure um i hope you you know enjoyed this as much as i did and uh thanks so much for being here yeah thank thanks so much for taking the time to ask the questions man I hope it was of of some kind of use. So it's good for me to try and verbalize all the things that go on in my head. But yeah, and uh, the same with everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope it was of of interest and value. If you have any further questions, then don't hesitate to contact myself or Todd. Um, I'm at TomFordSquash.com on most social medias. Todd, have you kind of... Remember when we spoke last, you were mentioning that <coughs> you were going to uh, get out of your rock and 
<laughs> start being a bit more active as anything happens. It's there? in the works. It's in the works. Okay. It will be coming soon. Okay. But uh, but as at the like moment, in the next year in, or in the no months now. Okay. We're talking months. Yeah, I know I've said that before, but I mean it this time. I and, feel like uh, I'd be too hypocritical to <laughs> to, to, to to grill me yeah, on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the moment, just email me toddherity at gmail dot com, and uh, oh, yeah, great. happy to answer anybody. And you're at Todd Harity on social media. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, hit us up with any comments that you have. And please share it with a friend if you think that it will be of benefit to them. And uh, and subscribe if that's possible too. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week and uh, see you next week with the next one.